James. Duncan. How are you, dude? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm honestly tired. <laughs> but do, do you think tired means that you're unhappy and rested means you're happy? I think um, they can contribute to both of those uh the uh, state of mind and I think your awareness of your physical state of mind can also be a strong contributing factor to whether or not you're happy but uh, it is never um, something that I would uh, want to be which is tired I am very familiar yeah. with being tired so uh, yeah. hopefully you can get some rest soon it, it totally affects me like being tired makes just me look at everything worse like, I'm just a far more pessimistic human. And so, you know, I, I, really, seriously, like, well-rested me is like a different human than really tired me. Mm. Are you reckon that's fair? So, so in other words, well-rested me is primitive mind me. Sorry, well, tired me is primitive mind. <laughs> and well-rested me is higher mind me, which is, you know, one of Tim's points. Well, I think um, so the, the analogy I actually gave to someone earlier is, um, so crazy people don't know they're crazy. Yeah. And... Speaking from my experience of being severely uh, sleep deprived over the earlier years of my um, my child rearing days, it's only once you get back to a point of where you start to get some more consistent levels of rest and you can think, whoa, I am thinking much more clearly now that <laughs> of how I was operating before was under this shroud of like, a complete inability to be clear of mind because mm. I was just not getting the right amount of sleep. Mm. I think it's interesting. So perhaps sleep might be hardware and all else equal, if you're well rested, your hardware is totally different than if you're really tired. Mm. But the way you think might be software. And so one of the things that right here is like, you can upgrade your software. So I'm, me and James are laughing like life before we read this Wait But Why series and life after it. Because I honestly believe it has upgraded my software um, and the way that I think about things. And that's what I think sort of Tim said in the first blog, Tim, the writer of this. So we're doing chapter seven, the thinking ladder, um, is that he was hoping to try to give uh, words or, or a way to describe thinking. And that when people would be able to do this, they'd be able to think about how they're thinking or metacognition. And I think that there's one of these things, just primitive mind to higher mind, you know, tribalness at the bottom to, you know, non-tribalness or zero sum to positive sum is huge mm. and when i'm tired it's primitive mind much more easy do you know what I mean? <laughs> and so, so so the hardware kind of interacts with the software but there's now a new i don't know high watermark because the software has gotten better whereas before i wasn't really aware of this oh. and now i'm aware sometimes not all the time but i was aware like zero percent of the time before oh well, i mean like hundred percent hardware and software are deeply um you know integrated like you can imagine a macbook pro a uh, piece of hardware running the latest OS X versus a you know a 1994 Dell computer with Windows. Uh, what was the worst Windows? Uh, Windows. Um, it's like three or something. Three kind of thing. Kind of thing. Um, Windows 95 came out in 95. Well, actually, <laughs> but like um, to be to be more apt, imagine trying to run um, the latest Mac OS on the original Mac. But I don't think that relates to humans. So this is an interesting thing. But like, I think there is a sort of hardware side, like for instance, tired or if you're hungry or whatever else it is. Mm. But then you can also upgrade the software side. Yeah. And so we sort of talk about this below. Like Elon said that he thinks that humans have a monkey brain with a computer on the top. And I think that's a, it's a more apt thing. So there is this lower primitive mind in you. And you can sometimes, hopefully you know, not have it run you, but other times you don't really. Mm. Yeah, no, I like, so this whole, um, le this whole blog series leading up to this chapter, I think, um, which has been focusing at least more recently on this higher mind versus primitive mind. It's probably one of my favorite mental models of all time. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. I, I definitely take your, your point, Duncan, that, you know, nothing works everywhere. Something could work any somewhere. <laughs> Everything works somewhere. Nothing works everywhere. Well, do you, do you know what doesn't work? Your your version of that quote. Well, I, I don't anywhere. necessarily I don't necessarily agree with everything works somewhere. 
Like then, I, I think there could be something that just. Ah, uh, don't get into semantics of it. It's a but, nice symmetry of it. Ah, uh, yeah. Your you, version of the quote was totally off. You, you and your symmetry. Anyway, my point is that even though, um, like re- realizing that there are still a few mental models that I try at least as a first pass or like a filtering method will apply to everything or as much as possible, and this is one of them. So, like mm. for example, when I'm in, engaging in a social setting. I will look at, I will try and look at things in this higher mind, primitive mind context. And I find it, in, it like insanely beneficial to my awareness. Mm. So maybe we should start with one of the quotes that Tim had at the top. Um, the whole problem with the world is that fools and fanatics are always so certain of themselves and wise people so full of doubts. Mm. Bertrand Russell. Um, if I look back on 20 year old me, I was pretty certain about things. <laughs> um, <laughs> And this, you know, in like, honestly, I also was, thought I was mature. Like, only an immature person can think they're mature. Like, there, there's a, two types of people, those that don't know and those that know they don't know. And now one of the things that I've sort of come to sort of delineate, which we talked about last time, is facts versus ideas. Fact, today's Thursday, idea how to spend your Thursday well. Fact, coffee costs $4, idea how to make a good coffee. And for the ideas side, I've come to believe that there's no such thing as right or wrong. So you can only ever have your current best view on something mm. and that you will be able to evolve that view. And also that idea will work somewhere, but it will definitely not be able to be applied everywhere. Mm. No, um, like completely agreed. So, you know, coming back to that quote, to me, this is the Dunning-Kruger effect in full flight. Mm. Um, and I don't know if it's worth explaining. It's pretty much explained by that quote, which is those who are incompetent, um, do not realize the level of their incompetence and actually think themselves so that they're more confident in their abilities because of the level of their incompetence. Whereas people who are very much adept and able to um, you know, provide value in a skills or in a knowledgeable field are more, let's just say, insecure because they know how much they don't know. And I think this is kind of like, at least for me, life personified growing up in that just the more I learn is showing me how much I do not know. Mm. <laughs> and I think that like, you know, this, this concept of like, you know, ideas are not right or wrong. They're, they can be helpful or they can um, necess- not necessarily be helpful. Mm. Uh, and I think that, you know, that, that, that's been a, a, a pretty big revelation, at least in, in recent years. Mm. I think so. For me, ideas are just little theorems that help you make sense of the world better than not having them. But each idea has some helpfulness and some hindering. And it will help you in certain areas. But if you apply that same idea in another context, it might actually be more harmful than helpful. Mm. And I'm like, ah, so I used to think, well, I believe this idea. I'm like, no, no, no. I don't work for the ideas. The ideas work for me. And so then instead of me thinking this idea is right or wrong, now it's like, well, how does this idea help me more than it hinders? And where does it work and where doesn't it work? Hmm. That's kind of what I'm trying to ask myself. And then I'm trying to collect lots of different ideas. And one of the things I used to think, well, the opposite of a truth is a falsehood. I'm like, no, the opposite of a profound truth is another profound truth. And that's this kind of idea that there's nothing that's sort of ever right. And so I think I was used to figuring out, like, what do I believe? And now I'm like, you can't believe an idea. It, it, it's never unimprovable. It never always works everywhere. So it's just, when is this thing more helpful than not? Not, do I believe it or not? Mm. And so it's a totally different, I suppose, reframing of what ideas are for and that I don't really have beliefs like that. Did did you just find another way of saying alternate facts? <laughs> no, but <that's, laughs> so there are facts which are, you don't, you, you, get to, you get to choose your opinions, i.e. your thoughts on ideas. Mm. You don't get to choose your facts. But you so, say another profound truth. So, the opposite of it, but that's an idea, right? right? So the opposite, one profound truth is another profound truth. So an idea. So for instance, I don't know, how do you sort of help? Is it direct instruction or is it you know problem-based learning or is it Socratic discussion, which are different thoughts in education? One is teaching someone in a sort of more didactic fashion. The other is doing it through inquiring about a problem. The other one is having a sort of discussion. Like To me, they're all interesting ideas and they're not right or wrong. They're all kind of right and wrong mm. in the right areas. So... The you know this is yeah not at all talking about the facts side of things. Mm. Okay, so um, profound truths are not facts. Their profound truths are just semblances of um, ideas people have. I think you pointed out something really good. I shouldn't have used that. So that's a quote. Um, the opposite of profound truth. So the, a profound truth. So for an idea, there is no such thing as truth. 
So a profound truth in this respect is actually a really valuable idea. Mm-hmm. Got it. And so the using the word truth is, I think, counterproductive because I don't think there is such thing as truth in ideas. There's just, well, you know, they had relativity, then, quant, you know, um, sort of, uh, you know, quantum mechanics and string theory, right? They're just different upgraded ideas. Yeah. And so how do you, I don't know, think about doing education? I don't think that it'll ever be done. Like, you know, there's a, like a right, it's just an evolving idea. So to me, you find out about new ideas and you're like, oh my God. And then typically when you find out about the new idea, you get overly enamored by it and you think that it can work in all these places. And then you realize that it's got a whole lot of strengths and weaknesses and it also doesn't work everywhere. So now, where does it, how much does it help? How much does it hinder me? Where does it work? Where doesn't it work? Yeah. So I, like, I appreciate that distinction because while I know that, um, you know, it's been... Uh, talked about that there's a difference between facts and truths. When I hear profound truths, I, I, I immediately yeah, yeah, go yeah, to the notion of is this factual versus objective versus subjective. But I think like, um, you know, going back to the original quote, how, you know, the world is full of people who are certain of themselves. And I think this is going to, you know, this, you know, clearly because of the way that Tim Irvin lays it out, plays directly into this, model of how we understand our mind to work and that's the difference between the primitive mind and the higher mind Mm -hmm. and so like the way i originally looked at it is you know people or you know even ourselves when we're so sure of something um like if i hold on to a belief that i have it's often because i don't have the mental fortitude to then question that belief you know, like we all believe our own thoughts. Ha uh-huh. <laughs> um, And so it's like, do I have the ability to notice that blind spot in myself and to be able to actually think critically? Like, well, hold on. Like, have I properly tested this belief that I have? Because it's important. Um, like my beliefs to me are important because to me that's the value system I have in order to, you know, be able to move through the world with some success. Yeah, so I, I think a word that I'm going to try to stop using is belief. Mm. Like, so as I was saying before, for ideas, you don't believe them. They are things that help, help you and hinder and they work somewhere and don't work in other areas. So how does this idea help me make more sense of the world? Yeah. How can I improve this idea? I don't believe it's right or wrong. There's no, there's no such thing for ideas. Mm. So I don't have beliefs. Yeah. I think, I think it's actually a sort of more primitive mind way of thinking of things. Wow. Which, you know, blind loyalty, you follow the tribe, etc. So I used to think this, what are my beliefs? Who am I? And to me, I'm like, no, 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 I'm not trying to figure what I believe. I'm trying to find as many ideas as I can yeah. to try to know how they help me and harm me and to try to know where they work and they don't. So I don't believe in them at all. I have them help me make more sense of the world and I'm collecting hopefully more and more ideas and learning how to blend them together. Mm. Well, I think like the belief could simply be a, um, a proxy for ideas you hold to be helpful or useful. And but I think the word belief comes with you, you have to believe it or you don't. Mm. So I think it's, it's kind of like, to me, no one's born smart or dumb. You, you're not good at talking or walking and you learn and you get better at the things that you put time into. Yeah. So that for ideas, I think it's a counterproductive concept to have belief or not in there and it hurts you. Yeah. So you, you're never trying to believe or not believe anything. You're just trying to understand how it works for you. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting one because I can I, I definitely understand when you talk about like what is the message and how is that message conveyed. To use a word like belief does come with a bit of baggage because it applies itself to things that are traditionally considered more dogmatic or, or entrenched in someone's, uh, I guess, unquestionable uh, dedication to that belief. So let's look at it more from, you know, uh, whether it's values or whether it's just ideas that we think um, have some form of, you know, ap- application to whatever it is that we're discussing at that point in time. Um, I, I think it's, it's not so much about how, um, you know, we're driven by our beliefs or by our ideas, but it's a, how we identify whether we're coming at it from a primitive mind perspective or higher mind perspective. So, yeah, I think um, I listened to a podcast with um, Eckhart Tolle who wrote a book, um, A New Earth, which I really like. And I believe this is how he would characterize part of it, that having beliefs leads you to having ego. And so, for instance, then if someone says something against your belief, you kind of want to naturally go to defend it. Mm. So defend your belief. Because if your belief is wrong, you were wrong. And therefore, you are not valuable. And so 
believing things means that you are having an ego. So you can you can have ideas and you can use them, but you also need to figure out when you can upgrade the idea. Mm. And belief leads it to be harder to upgrade and also where it doesn't work. So I think, you know, his view is that ego is sort of dangerous and, and leads you into, you know, doing things that maybe aren't for the right reasons. And so I think this is really nice. Mm. The world is full of more and more ideas. And this is one like primitive mind versus high mind. It's not right or wrong. It doesn't work everywhere. You know, but is it a useful construct that helps me think about the world and myself better than I did before? Hell yeah. You know, does it always work? Hell no. You know, so <laughs> I like this idea. I'm trying to figure out how to apply it in my life. I don't believe it. Like mm. It's two totally different things. And I think believing something is almost primitive mind, sort yeah. of an analogous to primitive mind. Mm. And higher mind is kind of like, well, you, so believing something is being certain, right? And, and not believing something is understanding, well, it, can, it doesn't mean it's not useful. It just means that I don't think it's universally useful. Mm. Right. Um, so, so this is where I find it interesting because, um, like, so... What Tim Urban said is, our beliefs make up our perception of reality. So, mm. like something you said earlier is that you you think you said I don't think people are smart or dumb. I think people, uh, you know, can you know, cultivated or not in an area. Have you cultivated your ability to do maths mm. or play a video game? Yeah. yeah, but that could that could also be considered a belief. Like you could say I, I don't believe that people are smart or dumb. Yeah, but I think I said that that, that word is is not a good thing. Yeah. It's an idea. Yeah. So I, I think honestly the word is far more counterproductive mm. than it is productive. And so belief to me is faith. It's given. You know, trust is earned. Mm. So to me, you can have ideas that are valuable. That doesn't mean you believe in them. Mm. So I, I think that literally it's a word that is far more counterproductive. Than not. And so reach your potential. I don't think there is such a thing. So yes, there might be a maximum number of rocks I can move in a day, but my mental potential, I think, is uncapped. And so the more I cultivate my mind, the more it can do. So it's kind of exponential versus my physical stuff, which is asymptotes. You know, there is a ceiling. And so people conflate. Well, physically, you can do a certain maximum amount of things, but mentally, I don't think you there is a maximum. So words have all these meaning inside of them. And you need to be careful that you're captured by the story of the word. Mm. Not And the word doesn't, you work for the word. No, the word works for you. So certain words are kind of cut out. So smart and dumb are words I don't think should be used mm. because it, it says that someone's born that way. No, you can change, you know, your ability to be good at something. If, you know, if you've never played a video game before and you play lots of it, you'll get better. Mm. You, so to me, you know, there's not something I believe in because therefore it's right and wrong. No. And that whole concept is off. Uh, it's, I, it's, it's a useful thing. I like that framework you said, like belief is based on faith, whereas trust is based on yeah. um, like validation or being earned. So, yes. so um, like that, when you look at it through that particular lens, you can see like, yeah, I can understand how there are certain things that people choose to believe based on nothing other than, you know, having faith in that belief. Whereas there are, you know, like whether you want to use the word trust, but there are ideas that you can like apply yourself to, but you want to make sure that those ideas are properly tested in the real world. Right, <laughs> it, yeah. it's one thing to like the whole point of having like I would think the whole point of having an idea is this is your kind of theory for how something can uh, I guess be met with some success in the world, whether it's your idea of the right way of educating, or not the right way, but a helpful way of educating, or your idea in terms of how you want to spend your day. Um, mm. You need to like an idea needs to be able to show that it can hold its own ground in the real world for it to have any form of value. Mm. So maybe this is like uh, belief lends itself, I think, through the embedded meaning of it to there being right and wrong mm. and not for you wanting to just figure out how to upgrade this thing. So you upgrade ideas, you find out how much they help and hinder you, you find out where they work and they don't. But a belief, you don't upgrade the belief do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, the belief, your belief is a static fixed thing. And so, again, facts, today is Thursday, you know, idea, how to, you know, spend your time on Thursday well or how to do a Thursday well. And so, when it delineate those two, so just like, okay, physiologically, my body, there's a maximum number of rocks I can move. But physiologically, so, so psychologically, my mind, there is no limit. Hmm. But they get conflated. So, well, there is definitely a right and wrong for facts. I agree there is a certain category. But there is not a right and wrong for ideas. There's just a bunch of useful theorems which you employ to help you make sense of the world better than not having them. But they give you, they help illuminate blind spots and ego distortions, but they give you new blind spots and ego distortions. Mm. Like, um, yeah, I totally agree. So I think what, um, like moving 
moving forward in, in this particular um, article that Tim wrote, uh, just as a quick recap, because I know we covered it before, but like when, we, when we're trying to get to the point of like how we think, which is I think was one of the most impactful things from this particular story that I've read, um, you have two parts of your mind. There's what Tim outlined as the primitive mind, as like what Duncan described earlier as the monkey brain that we're all running around with, um, which had basically been optimized for survival. And then you have your higher mind, which uh, Tim lays out as being this, this ability to reason, show empathy and imagination. And where we have this interesting um, dichotomy is when we start finding places where these two minds are at odds with each other. Yeah, I think this is something I, I just didn't understand at all, is that there's huge amounts of programming in your primitive mind mm. and that you don't realise. I was like, I am a sentient being with 100% agency that makes all of my own decisions and I'm never influenced by anything else, including whether I am tired or rested, you know, <laughs> which is the most ridiculous thing ever. And so he lays out a couple of examples, you know, food. So in the past, you didn't die from not enough food. You know, you, you didn't die from too much food. You died yeah. from not enough food. So there's no off switch in your, your body. And the food that you like the most is the highest calorie. You like potatoes. You like chocolate, you know. So this is because your body was like, look, we need to get as, much, as fat as possible, as fast as possible for the coming famine. So eat as much as you can and eat the highest calorie foods you can. Now today, where we have, instead of food um, deficiency, we have a food surplus. The bigger problem is people dying from eating too much food. And so, I don't know about you, but like, yeah, I think about chocolate sometimes. Or I'll walk past the bloody chocolate aisle and you'll be thinking, chocolate, 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 want to eat chocolate. You have this bloody battle. Like, well, I don't want heart disease and, you know, whatever else it is. <laughs> and, and, but I, I didn't realize that that was sort of a biological program. And it's strong. Like, I don't know how, you know, it's like, I need to stop eating now. But there's more food on the plate. You know, mm, I can mm. just help myself more. There's more ice cream in the tub. It's like, this is like a serious battle. Like, I'm on the couch. And the ice cream in the fridge is saying, eat me, eat me. You know, no, 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 like, eat me. Like, three hours of battle with the ice cream in the fridge. That's how strong your biological programming is. Mm, mm. Yeah, so this biological programming is what we call the primitive mind. And it's this part of our brain that's still stuck in 11,000 BC. So to your point, Duncan, it's like this area of our brain that is... It does not realize that we live in the 21st century. It's this area of our brain that still thinks that it needs to operate in a world where food is scarce, where survival is paramount, and that all of the things that are triggering it are based on the, the value set of a human being alive in a world where <laughs> we are slaves to nature. And the problem is that we can't upgrade that part of our mind. Right? That's the hardware that you were talking about earlier in this conversation. Um, but what we do have is this higher mind that sits on top of it, which is a software, and that's running on today's, um, on the latest upgrade. And so when you've got this primitive mind, uh, you know, seeing chocolate in the aisle or ice cream in the fridge, is thinking, oh my God, this is amazing source of, uh, of energy and, and calories. <laughs> I need to consume this so that I can ensure my survival. Whereas the high mind's like, no, that's just unnecessary right now. I don't need to be having that food. And so this is a great example of one of those inner turmoils. Mm. I think so, you know, a baby's born and it knows to feed. It's not don't train to feed. Or a spider is born and it knows how to make a spider web. It didn't go to spider web school and the first spider webs were not very good. You know, you've had a house cat. It's been inside its whole life. It sees a mouse. It knows what to do. It, it wasn't trained in mouse hunting. So there are really deep biological programs built into us which were required for, you know, survival. And to me, I had no idea about this. And so I used to therefore believe that a biological program running was an original thought of mine. So as an example... If we didn't want to procreate like the horny program, like crazy, then we got outbred. So the humans that were the horniest won. So for instance, you'll be walking down the street or whatever, and then the horny program might go off. And you're like, what the hell? And so then <laughs> I used to think, oh, I, I might actually like that person. Uh, and so for me, yes, this was required to, for us to you know, make lots of humans. You know, sex feels good. Why? So you want to do it a lot. Like it's, for most people, the best feeling they've ever had, you know, and if it felt bad, you wouldn't, you know, want to do it all the time, right? 
So the humans that it felt the best for wanted to do it the most and therefore won. <laughs> so for me, it's bloody annoying. <laughs> like, I, I wish I could turn it off, but this is one of the things I've realized. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what biological programs there were. Yeah. So I had thought as original thought, you like that person. I'm like, no, I don't. It's just, you know, 10,000-year-old bloody programming going off. Mm. And so just like I want to eat all the chocolate, I've got to turn it off. So the best thing I can do is to basically be aware that this doesn't mean I like that person. It's just my biology yeah. doing what it's programmed to do. And I have to counter for it. Like, with, aside from being able to get out of this human, you know, form, it's there and it's just going to go around. So you need to be aware that it's there and then you sort of counter it as much as possible. Mm, yeah. And like, uh, this is why I would highly recommend any, anyone read the article that um, is in question here because uh, as, as enjoyable it is to hear Duncan and I wax lyrical over it, uh, there are some very, very amusing comics that Tim Urban draws up. And one of them is where the higher mind and the primitive mind uh, together are looking at this female barista and this, this, this battle that plays itself out is, uh, is um, exemplified by the, the primitive mind saying like her symmetry, her symmetry, s- her symmetry, <laughs> her, her symmetry. <laughs> symmetry. It's like you almost got that word perfectly symmetrically wrong. <laughs> oh, symmetrically. Yeah, okay. Fine. Her symmetry is incredible. I say we propose, like we're not proposing to the barista. <laughs> then let's brush up at least against her somehow. It's like, no. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's disgusting. Like, I remember, you know, there's this weird thing. You go through puberty as a boy and you go from like, oh, yucky girls to then like, oh my God, girl. And it's like, like, a, like a, two months before it was all good. And then now it's like this program is like, Full on, 100% of your attention and energy must be devoted towards the one job that you have. And it's like, oh my God, disgusting. Mm, yeah. So I would, I would posit that just about any kind of instinctual reaction or feeling that you have is your primitive mind. So if you're standing up in a room full of people and you're expected to talk, you might feel a flush of emotions and you know a heightened of like anxiety or excitement whichever value you attribute to it um but i would say that's your primitive mind going holy shit you are now in a situation where you need to appease yourself to the group otherwise you will be extra um you know ostracized and then you will die um and that's how you can see the primitive mind working in such a way to try and get you out of a situation and it's whether or not your high mind is a um, is able to control that instinctive reaction enough to say we're safe here. This is you know I am able to control this situation. Hmm. I think an example that I sort of like of like what's built in tribalism, which is like you know you look after your family first, and then your cousins, and then the people in your town or whatever. Mm. Was uh, I remember I was about nine, and there was some natural disaster, and my parents donated some money to the Red Cross. And I remember, like, being legitimately annoyed, like, annoyed is a nice word, pissed off that they hadn't <laughs> given me the money because I felt like they had betrayed me or something. And you know, honestly, like, what a lovely thing my parents did, but I, I, I really couldn't sort of see beyond you look after your people. And that was, you know, the ideal outcome. And I think in hindsight, that's sort of tribalism. That's what Tim refers to as the primitive mind, mm. that it's built in. The, through the stories that people have, but also helping those close to you is is seen as a you know a great thing that gives you happiness, the oxytocin, dopamine, etc. goes off, and helping those not close to you is actually not betraying those close to you. So help, but not help, but helping someone far away that you can't touch, you're implicitly not using that help for the person you can see. So it feels like betrayal. And so I know I was nine, and I'm, I don't think I was the greatest response, but I remember being like. <laughs> If you haven't done <laughs> I want this money. <laughs> God. Well, yeah, I, I think we can chalk up a lot of that to you being an entitled little brat. But... <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. What are you talking about? Yeah. yeah um, but, yeah, so there are these things that uh, these two minds that we think of can be in total agreement on, um, such as, you know, they both agree you need to be in top physical condition. Or in this case, they, agree, they both agree that you need to be able to um, be well placed within your wider society so that you can either survive or have a have a good life. But it's where they have, um, I, I think, where they have different values or different ways in achieving that particular outcome. You know, case in point, the primitive mind would love for you to eat that bar of chocolate, whereas the higher mind understands that that's not a very good sustainable strategy. <laughs> um, mm. But like, where it's really interesting is where 
the high mind tries to object you from something that the primitive minded program to want. So like I think um, Duncan's little um, uh, horny story was one example of that. Um, but it's about where can you look at different parts of you know your way of operating in the world that you can see the primitive mind saying like this is important or this is dangerous <laughs> and then your high mind is actually trying to override that so i suppose the realization for me was is that we were born with a whole lot of biological programming and this was required for us to live because there were no schools or anything back in the day um but that we can do programming to our mind, um, which can try to at least become aware of the biological programming to counter for it or to do new things. So, for instance, if you get a good grade at school, you're normally happy. If you win the sporting match, you're happy. Like, there's not some biological program in there, like, oh, you're getting a massage, it feels really good, or, or you're eating chocolate, it feels really good. Um, and so your biological age is kind of determined by how old you are, but your psychological age or how much you've done to your mind isn't. So mm. there's those, you know, that, that um, lady that was all, you know, girl that was left to live with, grow up with dogs in the Ukraine, um, and she couldn't speak at all when she was 12 or 13, right? So hadn't learned any words. You're not going to learn words unless you're around other humans speaking. Mm. And so to me, this is really interesting. I kind of had sort of a sh associated wisdom, quote unquote, with age, but I feel that it's independent. Um, you, you basically can do the upgrades that you want. And a lot of upgrades for me would be just becoming aware of the biological programming because I didn't know there was any, what our programs are in there, and then trying to be able to see them real-time running and then trying to be able to say, well, do I want to lead into this or not? And like 99% of the time, the horny one, I'm just like, go away. This is disgusting and annoying and distracting. <laughs> um, but sometimes you're like, I like chocolate. It's real good. You know, I shouldn't eat chocolate every single meal, but like I'm going to sit here and enjoy the hell out of this chocolate. Mm. Um, so, you, the, the, you know, the biological stuff can be good or can be bad, but I didn't know it existed before. Mm. Yeah, so, I, I, um, you know, this, the, the spectrum of psychological versus uh, physical age is a really interesting one because, like, to your point, it doesn't just, one does not um, determine the other. It's not like the older you get, the wider you become. Uh, <laughs> um, and I think it's also useful to understand that like the way Tim points out, there are certain areas that you can be more stunted in your psychological growth um, on a day-to-day -day basis as opposed to others where you might actually, you know, be able to, you know, align yourself more closely to the psychological age. Um, <laughs> but like when, when we talk about these particular triggers that, you know, uh, can be overwhelming, such as, you know, the desire to procreate or the sensation of eating chocolate. You know, mm. I think these are still very important. Like, I would rather have them than not have them. Because, like, to, to me, that is a, um, you know, whether it's a dichotomy of good and bad. Like, you can't, I don't think you can enjoy something without having the, the flip side of it. You know, like, while, yes, it's annoying to, you know, have this part of your anatomy that just sounds, sounds off when it finds any particular creature of the opposite sex to be rather symmetrical at the same time it's, in, it's incredibly enjoyable to partake in the act of having sex uh chocolate tastes amazing and when you can enjoy it in moderation it's a really enjoyable treat so it's not so much that you know these are programs that no longer serve us it's about whether or not these programs um you can make them work for you if that makes sense yeah so i suppose i don't think that they're 100 percent bad but I also don't think they're 100% good. Um, and so sometimes I really wish that there weren't any biological programs running. But having said which, you know, food can be a real joy. You know, at the moment we need sustenance. And I'm like, well, why don't I have food that I enjoy? You know, it can be healthy and happy. It doesn't have to be like, you know, junk food or sort of unhealthy. And so there are some really wonderful things about biology, but there are also some really annoying things from my perspective. Oh, it gets tired. It gets sick. It wants to go to the toilet, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so for me... All else equal, just becoming aware of them and being able to do this is important. And I think when you're born as a, as a child, you're probably like 100% biological programming, right? Mm. And, it, and it can be there. It can stay 100% biological programming. Like a, whatever, a, a spider is, all, is still 100% biological programming when it, when it you know, is no longer around. But I kind of like to think that the biological program has gone from 100% when I was one mm. down to like 1% now. Now, it's not. 
And it doesn't mean that I can't. So I've grown. So I'm a hundred times more. So I'm able to experience and to think and to use words. This doesn't mean that I have, you know, turned it down. It just means that I've grown and it's still the same size. And that the more aware of it that I am, the more I can use the good bits, e.g. like eating well, um, and be aware of the counterproductive bits, e.g. like horny program fires. That doesn't mean you like that person. It's just your body doing what it needed to do so that the human race is around. And then you can try to counter for it. <laughs> I love I love your internal dialogues like that. Your body's got to do what it needs to do. Um, yeah, I didn't know that. I used to be like, you know, no idea of it. Yeah. So like intellectually, like I agree with you. I think there's a lot that I've done to overcome the, um, you know, the personal blind spot. But there's definitely I would I can still see in me certain programming that in the moment. I don't have, I still do not have a mastery of, and that I wish I had better control over. Like, for example, the innate desire to, to be accepted. Like, I can still see in my active programming how I behave in real time. You know, it is more aligned with wanting to please others or being liked, right? You know, this, this, and this goes back to that tribal mentality of being accepted in the group in order to survive. Right, so I, I can sit here and think to myself, like, I don't need this particular programming because I don't require to be accepted by people around me in order to survive. But when I'm in the process of engaging with either a new group or colleagues at work or people in my community, I can see that programming play itself out. Um, and not necessarily in real time, but a, a, upon reflection. Uh, another one would be confirmation bias. You know, while I do try to maintain this air of um, impartiality on ideas, there still is a part of me that wants to be right, you know? Like part of wanting to be right means that you're doing a good job, or at least you think, you tell yourself that. Um, and that, you know, goes back to the, the idea that, you know, we don't want to know the truth, we just want confirmation of what we currently think. And so those are two things that I know that I still need to continue to work on to try and maintain this sense of control. So James said some really interesting things. And I think there's words. So, for instance, know the truth. And so that's something I would have said like three months ago. But now I'm trying to be like, again, we're almost always talking about ideas because debating whether today's Thursday or not is not something I really feel is worth discussing. Um, but how to spend your Thursday or something. And so, again, for ideas, there isn't truth. And so it's a word that I'm trying to get out of my using because it comes within my own head and others' head a counterproductive things. And then wanting to be right is, is a corollary of truth. There is no right truth. There's no right. There's no wrong. There are, so for instance, I don't know, we used to have 200 reasons why we kill people for capital punishment, you know. Then there was no reasons. Now we have euthanasia and we can kill ourselves. So to me... What was considered right, quote unquote, which I don't like, or the best idea 200 years ago was that, yes, we needed to have, you know, public hangings. And now we don't think there are any reasons. And I do think it's good that humans are able to do euthanasia. Yes, and there's the right rules and laws around it. Um, and so this is an idea. Um, and so is, is abortion good or bad? Like it's an idea. There's not a right or a wrong. And so to me, the idea of truth and the idea of right or wrong in the sort of space of ideas is is counterproductive and something I'm really trying to stop myself from being able to think. Mm, mm. Well, I, I, I definitely um, commend that. Uh, and it's very hard to do so until there's a new, I, I guess, like uh, rubric for things to be able to be placed in. Because the next part of, um, you know, where this all leads to is what um, Tim Urban calls thinking in 2D or two dimensions. And like what we've been talking about um, up until now, which is this high mind and primitive mind, he puts on one dimension called the, um, the psych spectrum. So that's another interesting point. Um, you know, he would posit that we don't have this binary of high mind, low mind. You can actually see it more of this continuum. And then across the other dimension is what you think. And so this kind of goes into Duncan's point about like there are there there is a plethora of ideas out there. Or there could be a spectrum along which one idea could sit. Um, you know, for example, um, ways in which I could spend Thursday could go from one spectrum, which is to do absolutely nothing, to another spectrum, which is I could devote my entire time to um, 
you know, helping others. So, or like mm. I could devote my entire time to myself, or I could devote, devote my entire time to helping others, and that's an, there's an spectrum across that. And so what Tim Evan does is that he creates this, um, this area that these two dimensions overlay themselves on. And so I think it's really pertinent because, Duncan, what you were talking just now about this idea of truth and non-truth, maybe we can just simply think about how people think on their ideas based on whether it's driven from a more primitive mindset or from a more higher-minded mindset. I think James said something interesting, which is, you know, how can you spend your Thursday doing nothing or doing something? <laughs> um, and to me, this is part of it. It's an idea. Um, everything works somewhere, nothing works everywhere. So, for instance, Saturday, I honestly try to do as little as possible. It's just rest and recharge. But if I did that all the time, it would actually be draining. So it's funny, like what can be a rest and recharge can also be draining if, if I was doing nothing but all the time. So five days a week, I try to work, you know, hard and help others as much as possible. And then one day a week, I try to do absolutely nothing. And the other day a week is I'm fine to be selfish as long as it's not hurting anybody else. And so this is again, it's not a right or a wrong. Like it's not a right way to spend a Thursday. And for even for me, I have three seriously different ways of spending each week. Mm. Um, and so I think something which you said, which was the cognitive uh, also um, confirmation bias, is a second order outcome of believing there is a right or a wrong or having a belief at all. Because a belief by definition means there's right or wrong. And so to me, these are words that I think are counterproductive. And the world was more simple when we had less knowledge and when humans did jobs like hunting and gathering. Um, and so those those things then might have been more fair that there was more black and white ish. I'm sure they're still grey, but in in a you know modern first world country, the vast majority of things that are worth discussing, there is a, a multitude or you know pl um, pluralism is is a, is a much, very important thing. Mm. So I so I like this notion of um, moving away from the idea of truth because that kind of ties modernism. <laughs> Ooh, we're gonna have an, another entire podcast on that. Um, but um, what I find useful here is, is the, going back to the original um, point I made about this being a useful mental model is using this spec or this two-dimensional thinking to try and understand how either I am thinking about a particular idea or how others might be approaching um, a particular idea. And so the way this is laid out is there's this... I guess this ladder, and this is where he introduces the thinking ladder in terms of how someone could potentially approach a particular concept, whether it's how you spend your Thursday or whether it's um, something that you think is more politically driven. And so he had um, four levels. And at the very, very bottom, which he aligned with thinking entirely in the primitive mind, is the zealot. So the zealot is, is, is uh, you know, to give the comparison to the religious person, is someone who believes something without question and cannot be questioned on that. If you go up one more level, you have the lawyer. So that's someone with a desired outcome and will argue for it. The next level is the sports fan. So someone who appreciates that there is a world in which things need to operate more um, transparently and objectively, but he has a bias towards one end of the spectrum. And then there's the scientific thinker. And this is someone who thinks like I have no um, preference for the outcome. I just want to know what the um, what not the right outcome is, but what the most helpful outcome is. Mm. Yeah. I so I suppose maybe one way is like zealots believe things on faith, <laughs> without you know you know whereas trust is earned, but trust also is kind of the, the first sort of quote at the top. Mm. Um, which was, where is it? The whole problem with the world is that fools and fanatics are always so certain of themselves and wise people so full of doubts. And so trying to understand that you're not trying to figure out what I'm, or I'm not trying to figure out what I believe, and then I'm trying to figure out how much this helps and harms me, that where it works and where it doesn't, is upside down. And again, I think we talked about this in the past. At school, you are taught there's a right and a wrong to get 100% on the test. There kind of has to be. And I think that when life was a bit simpler, like we were all, I don't know, doing agrarian societies and peasant farmers or one of the 10% people that weren't or, or hunter-gatherers that must get food every day. And so there wasn't the ability. So, so much of what we do today, you know, nobody did even 200 years ago. Um, and so 
this whole world of rights and wrongs was probably the, the, the sort of more optimal way of thinking 200 years ago or something. Mm. But how we help ourselves, I think today, is to realize that the biological programming which got us to be able to continue to make as many humans as possible isn't necessary. In fact, you know, we've got too many humans now and we've got climate change as a problem. <laughs> um, so we got so successful at it that we crashed the world. And so the best thing that you, you could do 200 years ago was make more humans for the success of humanity. And now perhaps the worst thing you can do is make more humans. Um, so I feel that we are able to basically self-author and to be able to sort of figure out more of what we think the world should be mm. than ever before. The ability for you to be able to build yourself into what you want is more possible than ever before. Mm. Mm. Well, and so like, and so this goes back into like, you know, how do you, how does this help us understand our own motivation and how our own way of thinking is help is useful, but it also helps us understand how we can work with others in trying to understand what it is that, well, why it is they think the way they do. Uh, and I think this is a really, really good um, framework because I, I can't remember where he said it, but he, he points out that when you think this way, you can no longer be upset at people for the way that they think when you can understand that they are operating um, based on their primordial instincts, right? So if, if you can think of a way in which, you know, you might have been triggered in the past on a certain thing, like, for instance, like, Duncan, you probably can't be upset at someone who wants to go around and hump everything, everybody's leg because you understand yourself what the horny trigger is like. Uh, and so what this does is it kind of like lifts um, the shroud over this driving nature of ours and how we can better understand what motiv us, motivates us to think in a certain way. I'm not sure I agree really with what you said there. Like I do understand that people have biological programming. Mm. That doesn't mean that it excuses people from just doing whatever their biology says to do the whole time. I agree. It's not so a I think... Yeah, like the, one of the key ways that we've been learning, it used to be zero sum, there's a fixed amount of animals and berries on the tree. But now how we need to do is to collaborate together and we need to, mm. you know, not go around and hump everyone's leg. Like I would honestly, if it's if it happens to be like, I don't know, a two-year-old, then I'm, their biology is more in control. But if it's a 20-year-old, mm. then there are laws against this and I think the laws are pretty fun. Right, like you're not allowed to just go around sexually assaulting whoever you want. Like, no, no, it's my biology. Um, and so, yes, we're aware of it, but I think many of the things that we're doing now are trying to counter for that mm. and that people should be able to do that. And I think it's it's a totally fine expectation that that's the case. Yeah. So definitely don't want to uh, make it seem like a form of justification because as adults, there's expectations on us to be able to operate within a society. But let me give it another example. When we're um, like, when Duncan, you and I are talking on the exploration of an idea or any two people, you can kind of have a better understanding of where they're operating from based on how they approach their reasoning. So for example, if we have opposing ideas and there is absolutely no way that I can reason you to think outside of what you hold to be your, um, you know, let's, for want of a better word, belief, <laughs> then um, Tim Urban would say that you're thinking more like a zealot. As opposed to someone who has a purely objective approach to reasoning, which is, all right, well, here's, here's what I think, but I am completely open and interested in understanding other ones around it that may be contrary to it or complementary or whatever, then you can see how that person could be thinking more like a scientist. Maybe I have a different characterization. Like I care how you think, mm. not what you think. Yeah. So reasonable people can have different uh, you know, views, like what should we do about climate change? I think it's very unreasonable to believe that the climate isn't warming. But you might honestly be able to argue that we shouldn't do anything. I don't think that's the case. A revenue-neutral carbon tax to me seems to make a lot of sense. I do, however, believe that it's okay to not be okay with people thinking in a bad way. To disagree with someone having a different point of view to you that has a fair and reasonable basis isn't okay. Mm. But if someone is being purely tribal, we're like, well, yeah, we see it. And it's not cool. This is what Tim said here. And that I think as a society, we've gotten better at living with each other. We do less, you know, reprisals and, you know, we're, there's less crime, whether it's you know, physical violence, white collar crime, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, yes, you can see some people, for instance, being perhaps more prime, um, primitive mind. 
that doesn't you know obviate or make it okay mm. doesn't mean that as a society to me we shouldn't be trying to move up to the higher levels of thinking i think all else equal the society is better than it was you know 100 years ago and 100 years before that you know the first half of the 20th century wasn't exactly great um, <laughs> and so to me um I, i'm not sure if you're saying this but i think it's not okay to think in, like a zealot. And I think that's what's causing a lot of problems. And I think that there are less and less people thinking that way. Mm. Blind faith, as an example. And th- this is helping us become a better functioning society. Yeah. So I, I, I like the, the, the framing around what's valuable here is understanding how people think. It's not important what people think. Um, and so I haven't called out explicitly that it's bad to be thinking like a zealot. Um, but what like... and like personal opinion is that I, I think it's not helpful at all to think like a zealot. And one of the really good um, other dimensions to look at this is, is how do people see dissent, right? If, you, if you're thinking like a scientist, Tim Urban would say that you would treat dissent as a piece of the puzzle. And so you don't get a full picture unless you get all of the different pieces of the puzzle together. Um, a sports fan would see it more like a tennis ball that you've got to hit back and forth. So sometimes Duncan, you and I might hit a ball back and forth in terms of like how we're testing out these ideas. Now, a zealot would see dissent as a poop bucket. <laughs> so it's like just completely repulsed by any kind of idea that is counter to its own. And so again, like to use your example about climate change, like you could be someone who thinks that, um, you know, we need to stop producing, uh, stop coal mining, stop um, coal plants, and that you do not accept anyone else's input that is contrary to that thought. Though you might think that you are a um, an enlightened thinker to stop coal mining and stop coal production, but your approach to that thinking is a zealot because you will treat anyone else's inputs or thoughts as a poop bucket, as opposed to someone who's saying, like, here's what I think, but I want to know everybody else's position so I can get the full picture. Yeah, so I've said it before, I care not what you think, but how you think. Yeah. I think reasonable people can have a different view on what immigration should be, as an example. I think reasonable people can have a different view on what the response to climate change should be. I don't believe that you can reasonably say that climate change doesn't exist. I believe that reasonable people can have a different view on, you know, what, you know, the whatever it is, education policy is. But I think a lot of people, and this thing is Alex, think that if somebody doesn't have their view, that then they're like evil or that they are, you know, stupid, um, etc. And that to me, what I'm trying to do is, uh, you know, ideas are just your best current synthesis of how you can make sense of the haze of that part of the world, mm. e.g. immigration policy, e.g. climate change policy. And that there will be an upgrade to this um, and that you can change this, just like we had capital punishment for 200 reasons, then no reasons, now we have euthanasia. I think you need to expect this to change. And so to me, getting away from there being right or wrong or beliefs, like those words should not be allowed to be used <laughs> in ideas space. In me, because they're just wildly counterproductive. And, and getting rid of them helps you move up the thinking from primary, primary, um, primitive sorry, to higher mind. Mm. Um, and so, yeah. Once you're, you know, not because confirmation bias to me is a second order outcome of having a right or a wrong. When you don't have that, you're just like looking at this stuff and oh, interesting. Could this help me upgrade my idea? So the idea <laughs> is not to try to be right or wrong. It's to figure out how to upgrade your ideas and to find out where they work and where they don't. And that's a totally different operating system. Mm. And when you've done that, all these things fall out. Like confirmation bias fades away. You don't have zealots. You know, you don't have us versus them. You're just like, oh, a person with a different point of view to me is someone that can help me upgrade my idea, not someone who's evil or, you know, or dumb. Mm. So um, something you said earlier, which I think has some useful application here, which is when you believe something that's tied to the ego. And so I guess another spectrum that I see playing itself out here is on one extreme, it is your own internal world. And on the other extreme is the external world and I, I i try not to use subjective versus objective because sometimes um it can be argued that there is no objective truth there is just simply the multitude of um, people's different experiences but if you look at it from that perspective if you come with an idea 
you can think of it in terms of a way in which somebody wants this idea to be tested in the world with everybody else's versus somebody who wants this idea as a validation of their own way of thinking. And so it's whether or not you have this approach to say, I just want to see how this fits in with everything else, as opposed to, I want this to be the primordial way of thinking. Mm. This is a, a slight tangent, but I think a good mm. rearticulation of this facts versus ideas. James and I had a podcast today, right? But what the podcast meant for James and what it meant for me are not the same things. So there is some part truth. Yes, we had a podcast, but James might be like, it was a great podcast. I really enjoyed it. And I might be like, it was a horrible podcast. I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> that, that doesn't mean that there is right or wrong. So I, I, really just divorcing yourself that there are certain areas where you can have that, but there are other areas where it is totally counterproductive to believe that. And that, to me, experiences are how you end up processing them, right? And you can change how you process something later. So I might think it was a bad podcast, and then I decide in the future, you know what? Actually, there were some really good parts to it. I think it was a good podcast. And so this is something that I sort of struggled to understand because I conflated. It's like, what do you mean objective truth, subjective truth? And it's like, well, yes, there was a podcast. That part I don't think is hard to argue, right? Mm. But, for instance, how I experienced it and how James experienced it cannot be the same. And so there are parts which can never be right or parts that can be objective because a right is similar to objective, you know, versus subjective. And it took, it didn't, I didn't, I couldn't unpick because I could see, oh, that works there, but it doesn't work there. I'm like, no, no, which, you know, know it's an artificial sort of delineation of two types of things. But it really helped me be like, ah, okay, I start to understand what these philosophers or whomever are talking about. Yeah. All right, dude. I think we're coming up to the hour mark already. <laughs> Again, I never understand how that can happen. Um, but I think what... Time flies when you're having fun, James. But what if you're not having fun like me? It's just a you know teeth-pulling exercise. <laughs> oh, well, I'm, I'm sorry that that's, how, that's been no, your No, that was a joke. But really <laughs> um, all right. Did you want to start with summary? Sure. Um, so I really like this concept of um, primitive mind versus high mind. I didn't know about it at all. I like the idea that we're kind of born and we're almost 100% biology, i.e. you know, primitive mind, but that we can develop ourselves if we choose and that wisdom doesn't equal age. So my biological age, like I don't know how old my organs are, probably has to do quite a lot with how old I, you know, I'm 35, right? But it doesn't have much to do necessarily with my mental development and that if you try, you can try to develop your higher mind and your ability to not be run by the programs that are in your biology or by the, you know, things that are around you. Mm. And I found this is cool because what it means is that you then get to try to build a life that you want. And I think that this is kind of one of the parts. Like it's not a journey. It's not a destination. It's a journey. It's like, ah, so building your own sort of understanding of ideas, where they work, where they don't, and when they hinder and when they hurt, or sort of help, is cool. And slowly, life becomes kind of higher definition. It went from this sort of low resolution thing to this, oh my God, it's kind of like as high resolution and as rewarding as you make it. So you're the limit and you can figure out how to do this. And so the high mind stuff then means, oh my God, I get to upgrade this idea indefinitely. Yes. And that people that have a different point of view help me upgrade. Yes. And that I'm going to change my mind. Yes. You know, and, and so I, I didn't see it that way before. And, you know, it was, it was sort of much more negative. So I'm, oh, God, either this person doesn't get it and they're silly or I don't get it and I'm silly, neither of which I like. <laughs> and now I'm like, actually, I can upgrade my thoughts, my ideas, and I can help them, both of which are good outcomes. So the world's kind of gone upside down. It's, it's all awesome, hopefully. Mm, mm. Well, yeah. So like you, I really, really like this way, uh, this particular model and the way of thinking that if possible, we have within us these two opposing forces, one being the primitive mind that um, has been described here as our hardware and unable to upgrade itself from the early days of man where we were basically programmed for survival. And then there's the other part, which is um, what's been described as the high mind, which is our more, um, which is our ability to be more reasonable and rational and even um, imaginative as well. I think this has been um, super useful in helping me how I think in particular situations or on particular concepts. And 
being able to understand what is driving um, my approach to thinking helps bring more awareness to how I can upgrade that thinking. Um, I think this is super useful to think of it like um, this particular ladder where at the one end, you could be more of a zealot where you hold on to your beliefs or your ideas fastidiously and you do not move on them and you move up the ladder to the, the, the scientist where you're readily open to falsifying your own ideas and that you want to approach them uh, or any, any um, uh, different ideas with objective reasoning. And I think to that, it, it helped me to decide how I want to approach any particular problem. And like, um, you know, like you said, it removes this, uh, this, this thinking that I have to tie my identity to my ideas or that I can't ever be thought to be wrong or that other people who think differently to me must be wrong. And, you know, to, to, to try and use thinking like what you said, Duncan, there's no truth. If you, you know, if you absorb that, then thinking that there is no truth, then opens you up to the possibility that you have something to learn from everyone. And I think this is a, a super useful framework in making sure that, uh, well, in helping you ensure that you can operate at that level um, as much as possible. Wonderful. So the podcast is idea creation and idea upgrading, um, which I think is cool. All right, James, <laughs> I'll see you soon. All right, cheers, Duncan. Bye.